Welcome to Continuum, a podcast dedicated to your health. We'll introduce you to individuals throughout the healthcare world, from patients to providers, with a focus on inspiration and education. In this episode, we talk to Melanie Gonzalez, Chief Marketing Officer, and May Weathersby, Chief Clinical Officer at Vibra Hospital of Richardson and Vibra Specialty Hospital of DeSoto. We discuss with Melanie and May the various challenges facing today's veterans and their healthcare needs. Veterans themselves, Melanie and May also talk about their experiences serving in the armed forces. Folks, thanks for joining us. We are joined today by Melanie Gonzalez and May Weathersby. Melanie is the Chief Marketing Officer at Vibra Hospital of Richardson and Vibra Specialty Hospital in DeSoto, both in the sort of Dallas market of Texas. And uh, May Weathersby, she's the Chief Clinical Officer for both of those hospitals as well. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. We are talking veterans and healthcare and sort of the challenges that veterans uh, face today uh, as they seek healthcare. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And also, I should say thank you. You're both actually veterans, so thank you for your service. Greatly appreciative of that. So starting with starting with Melanie, can you, can you talk about your service, what all you did? Uh, yes. So I uh, went in in 1997. Um, I served 10 years. Um, I did one tour in Iraq. Uh, kind of went all over uh, the the world, really. Essentially, I you know um, hit the majority of the states and a few different countries. Lots of South America, which is probably my favorite uh, place down in Honduras and El Salvador and, and those places. and um, But I worked uh, in a military intelligence headquarters um, for the majority of my career. And, you know, whenever I decided to, if I could have, if, if I had the option to do uh, the full 20 years, I would have, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I had gotten married and decided to go ahead and stay home with the kiddos, and so that's kind of how I got rerouted. But it was definitely experience that I think um, taught me a great deal of leadership styles, um, working with different people, um, you know, how to handle stress, um, all sorts of, of different things. And you just get to meet so many different types of people from all walks of life. It's just really an experience I think everybody should have. That's interesting. I, so, so you were, as you said, predominantly in South uh, South America. And what what were your particular duties while while in service? Um, so, when I was in South America, it was actually humanitarian effort. Okay. Um, it was it was the it was a they had really gotten hit by hit hard with a, a hurricane that just kind of leveled the the island one of the islands there and there were so many people that were displaced and you know they just really needed a lot of medical care and um, a lot of just resources economic resources food and and clothing and transportation and housing so. Um, you know, my sergeant major came to me one day, even though I was in a military intelligence headquarters, my sergeant major came to me one day and she said, hey, you think you want to do me a solid and go to South America? And I was like, uh, yeah, 
<laughs> I'm like, what am I going for? And so, uh, so then she explained, you know, that the hurricane had happened and they just needed some more hands out there. So even though I wasn't necessarily working in my um, field um, in that capacity necessarily out there, it, it was more of a humanitarian effort. I just really appreciated that, that whole thing. It just very humbling. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Things like that, there's just like an intangible sense of, uh, uh, of goodwill. Very cool. And again, thank you. It's, it's really, it's really great to, um, talk to folks like yourself. Okay. So that brings us to May. May, can you talk about your service? Oh, gladly. Mine is a little different and I'm a little older than Melanie. I started back in 1978. I was a young high school graduate from the rural country, uh, state of Mississippi. And we had these army recruiters come and talk to us. My parents were very poor, so there was no opportunities for me to go to college. But this, these, these Army people came to us and laid out an opportunity to where I could serve my country and be able to get a college degree. So I am forever indebted to the Army. They took this young lady, they molded me, they groomed me, and they trained me and it's part of who I am today. I served the Army for three years, and I didn't go to any uh, impressive places like Melanie, but I went to some great places. I did my training in the Carolinas, and then I was stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Now, what's really great about that is it gave this country girl an opportunity to meet people of all diversity because I actually work with the Civil Service Department even though I was in the Army. So I just got to meet all types of people from every educational level. Uh, I got a chance to work with all of the soldiers. I actually was somewhat over the department that actually distributed the uh, military driver's license to the uh, soldiers that were in, and that was very challenging because I got to meet at some point just about everyone that was stationed at that facility um, And what happened after my three years of service, I did take uh, benefit of the uh, GI Bill. But while I was in the military, we received such great health care and health insurance, that is what led me to decide to become a nurse. Uh, The Army was so uh, beneficial to my life that it just left a... Uh, indelible print on my soul as to how important military life can be, especially for young people and then for people who do decide to stay in for a long, long time and and retire from it. It is a close-knit community. And when you get out of the service, you find another close-knit community. Yeah, so so that brings us kind of, uh, well, first of all, thank you, May. That's a it's actually what what it what it does for me is it it helps to reinforce the the notion that the military is so much more than what we what first pops into my head when I think of the armed armed forces, which is you know the sort of saving Private Ryan or those kinds of imagery, <laughs> you know, the typical the typical thing, right? Um, but yeah, you, what you right. quickly see is that there are so many different nuances and so many different applications and areas where. Uh, the armed forces really help to, uh, I'll say, fortify or um, 
increase the quality, uh, advance our culture, I think, and, 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 and just by helping people in, in more ways than just defending. So you both served. Awesome. Then here we are. Uh, we have a uh, chief marketing officer and a chief clinical officer. Uh, again, I'll start with Melanie. How did this develop? How do you know? How did this transition uh, happen uh, for you from going from from the uh, serving in the armed forces to this type of role? And I know that we're probably jumping over a, a <laughs> you know quite a bit, uh, but for for all intents and purposes, uh, if you could kind of walk us through that, uh, that would be would be very interesting to know. exited the military. I had done my year in South America. I'd done a year in Iraq, and my husband was really kind of wanting me to just stay home. He was also in the military, and so two military parents, two children, that was very difficult for us. So I opted to go home. So I stayed home, and I took care of the children. I took care of him, and I got really bored really fast. I went from carrying a gun to cooking every day yeah. <laughs> for three years. And I, it, it just drove me crazy. So um, while I was there, I tried to make the best of the downtime that I had because there's only so much laundry you can do. And I decided to get uh, my master's degree. I utilized my GI Bill through the military. Um, I got my master's degree in uh, marketing, mass communications, and journalism, actually. And um, because I actually wanted to, I wanted to be a political news analyst. So it sounds really weird, but it's all going to tie together, I promise. So, <laughs> um, so that was my goal. And once I realized just how difficult that was at that time in my life, I said, this isn't going to work. So my, a very good friend of mine worked for the state of Texas um, Health and Human Services, and she knew that I was going stir crazy, so she said, listen, you know, have you ever considered becoming an investigator with Adult Protective Services? And she kind of explained that to me, um, what that entailed, and so I said, sure, why not? Let's, let's give it a shot. So I did, um, and again, I went from a job of service um, to another job of service. I, I just think that's kind of my thing. And so um, in that job, I that's when I really started to, to work with my seniors and my very, very vulnerable um, adults. And I saw it was just very satisfying being able to help them uh, get better, whether that was with medical care or it was someone suffering from abuse, neglect, or exploitation. Um, knowing that I helped catch the bad guy was very um, satisfying to me. And what I learned is is that some of our veterans are the most vulnerable. And, and the reason for that, and I, I was exposed to this as a part of that job with HHSC, and one of the things that I learned is, is that, you know, veterans typically um, – have a pretty steady stream financial, financially of money that are, that's coming in of some sort. And when they get older and they become, you know, a little uh, cognitively challenged or uh, physically challenged and they have these caretakers that are coming in and things of that nature, they, they become at risk. And um, so 
I, at one point I had requested with, uh, I was a special investigator. At one point I had requested all veteran cases be given to me just so that I could work those cases specifically. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a lot going on, you know? So it connected me with a, a lady by the name of Jillian here in the Dallas market. And she, um, I worked closely with her because she was one of my emergency placement, uh, marketers. She worked for skilled nursing and, um, if I needed quick placement, if I went into a situation and it, it was just so bad to the point to where I felt as though I needed to remove the person immediately, then um, I knew I could pick up the phone and call Jillian, and she was their director of marketing. One day we were having lunch, and we were just kind of chit-chatting, and she said, I had no idea that your degree was in mass communications journalism, marketing background, basically. And she said, why are you doing this versus marketing? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, she was getting ready to actually exit her position, and she pushed and pushed and pushed until I said, fine, I'll apply. Let's see how this goes. At that point, I'd been with the state of Texas for about seven years, and um, and I did. I applied, and, and I started out just as a field marketer, and, and I slowly, you know, uh, bumped up to regional director and, and moved on, and, now, and that's kind of how I got here. So it's a, it's a really weird story, but... That's how it all worked out. It's always fun to hear different people's uh, career paths and how they take so many twists and turns. But uh, it's funny how it always seems to work out. So, May, how did you go from military to being a chief clinical officer and doing all that you do, which is so wonderful and great? Well, actually, I have to attribute a lot of it to the military. When I exit out... They actually did some testing. Uh, I received a letter that I needed to go to this place, and they put me through a battery of exams. I didn't really know what it was for, but so I believe it was um, uh, my higher power just guiding this young person through, through the right steps of life. When I finished the testing, they called me into this office, and they said, you know what, you have leadership uh, capability, you have academic capabilities, and you know you really could go to college to be anything that you wanted to be. And they asked me what type of personality, what did I like to do, and they gave me a, a series of things. And I do believe in serving people and helping people. So they talked about becoming a nurse or a pharmacist, things of that nature. And actually I had a sister that was a nurse, and I said, I really think I would like to do that. And they made arrangement at this university, and and through the GI Bill, I was able to get a bachelor's degree. Did not owe not one dime or not any money mm. when I finished. So I once again contribute the military to uh, just having such a uh, primary force in my life when I was really only there for three years, and then you know it, it continued to where. Um, I signed up with this local hospital that guided me through leadership roles and uh, saw that I had leadership capability as well, and they invested in me. And throughout my career, Methodist Hospital, uh, Viber Hospitals, they have always invested uh, into me, and I've always tried to give back. So that's how I got in the track of becoming a registered nurse, and really I moved up really fast. Within a couple of years, I was a charge nurse, supervisor, uh, lead, uh, ICU nurse, and after about 
six years, I actually transitioned to administration, and I've been doing that for the last 20 years. Yeah, uh, again, like you said, the military just really having such a nice, robust program and, and, and allowing folks the, the opportunity. Uh, and not only that, but, but helping them understand where, you know, what, what attributes uh, would help them career-wise in their, in their character and personality. So obviously, you two are veterans. You ha- both have uh, wonderful careers going, very rewarding careers going. So shifting gears just a little bit, what do you, in your opinions, feel like the challenges that face uh, our, our, our veterans today? Uh, I know, Melanie, you had talked about, you know, as, as they do get older, some resources kind of tend to taper off and things like that. So if you could uh, speak to what you see at your, in your roles today um, and maybe outside of that as well. Uh, the, the, like I said, those challenges that, that that aren't maybe obvious to to folks outside looking in with our with our veterans. I think that I spend quite a bit of time over at our Dallas VA hospital, which is one of the largest in the nation. Um, and for me, who is fairly able-bodied, you know, independently ambulatory. Um, on a good day when I've had coffee, I've got all my faculties about me for the most part, (laughs) you know, and as I'm going into the VA to, uh, do whatever, whether or not I'm just going to visit people or if I'm there for my own appointments or whatever, what I notice is, is that I look around me and our veterans are our, you know, uh, World War II and our Korea veterans and they're in wheelchairs and they're in, on walkers and, that place is so incredibly confusing and massive, even for me. Hmm. At 39 years old, it's very difficult for me. And so I can't imagine being 80 years old. And the parking lot is atrocious. You're having to walk forever. Um, if you can't get a shuttle, I mean, you, I mean it's, just, it's just not user-friendly. Uh, and then you get in there and you see all of these signs and there are these people that are buzzing back and forth and elevators going everywhere. It's just very, I, I imagine that that has to be extremely overwhelming for somebody that's 80 years old and there for their first appointment. Or even if it's their third appointment, you know, if it's so easy to get turned around. And so I think that that's a big problem is, is that whenever I talk to other people, young or old, whenever I talk to them about the VA, um, either they, they, determine that the headache is not worth it? Is it truly, I mean, between the paperwork that you have to get done in order to start this process and, you know, then you get assigned a doctor, it's going to take you three months to get an appointment to get in front of that doctor. And then, you know, you're coming from a long distance away. The VA hospital for me is an hour drive for my appointments. And so, um, so whenever, and, and I mean, I'm in the Dallas, Metroplex, and it's still an hour. And so, you know, they're trying to figure out transportation, whether that is going to be a a loved one that's going to try to get them there, that they're worried about inconveniencing, or if they're going to try to take public transportation, which means that if your appointment's at 1.30 in the afternoon, you need to leave at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, by the time that you catch all of the buses and trains that you need to get over there. It's just a lot. I just feel like if you, so, so I think they acquiesce. I think they say it's just not worth the headache. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I think that's probably the most, 
the most difficult thing that I see on a daily basis just when I talk to uh, is the ones that I'm sitting in the waiting area with at the VA. For, for our veterans, it almost sets the tone or makes them feel like just in general that the world is sort of just not a place for them in, in a sense, right? I mean, they're, they, as you mentioned, many of them wheelchairs and, 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 and could have long-sustaining, long-term uh, injuries that could have uh, occurred during their service and things like that. So when the VA hospital is we'll say a kind of a challenge, you know, it, it can't be encouraging for other aspects in their lives uh, either. Cause that my, I guess my point is that that's a hospital that's for them and it's really not for them in a sense. And Correct. so, exactly. so it yes. makes them feel like, Oh, you know, not, there isn't really, so, what, yeah, they, th- they th- thank you so much. With it. And they don't realize that once you kind of get past that initial hump, if you get your paperwork done, you establish your position, um, all of those things are you're able to get later if you actually start that process. Like the VA has transportation that will come to your home and pick you up. They're not going to know that if they don't start. It's just from a distance, they look at it and they go, it's not worth it. The, yeah. fun, the, the benefits are just don't, the medical benefits, the financial benefits, never mind, I'll keep my private pay doctor at the clinic down the street and I'll keep my Social Security Versus digging into the money that they're owed for the country that right. they, from the country that they fought for. I mean, and the and the healthcare that they're owed. It, they just don't see the the, the pros of, of taking on that challenge. Yeah. So now we've obviously we've talked about VA hospital and, and healthcare specifically, but but May, I'll ask you from your from your vantage point, what are some things that that you see that may not may not be on everyone's radar? I think one thing, uh, all of the things that Melanie said, but I do think at some point they feel that they lose their uh, identity, uh, that they do not have the respect, that they are veterans, that they have served their country, and that some of the things that they gave in service were really life-altering experiences for them. And at some point through the years, that that you are a veteran, that you served your country, and that you served really, really well, get somewhat lost when they become sick, very ill, and need a lot of care. And that's the reason why, uh, and I'm not just trying to come back to uh, Viber, but that's the reason why uh, Melanie's vision, uh, because she did serve a long time and she did work for the Department of Health, it's just so important because we have an opportunity to bring that respect back to these individuals when they're at the lowest, sometimes lowest point of their life. They have went through a lot, and they're now beginning to get even more sicker just through life processes. And they're looking for people to remember, hey, that they were they served in Vietnam, they served in World War II, um, that they served in the Gulf War, uh, and that during this service, there were things that happened to them that their life would never be the same. And, you know, no one runs around with a banner saying, oh, yeah, 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 you're a veteran. We have certain days of the year that we celebrate. But where are the places that say, when you come here, we know what you did for your country. We know the sacrifices that you made, not only you, that your family sacrificed and made. And now that you're sick, 
and cannot care for yourself, we have a dedicated team that's going to show you all the respect that you deserve, and we're going to work very hard to getting you back to better. Right. And uh, that's what I see sometimes that veterans voice to me or experience is that the lack of respect now that they've gotten really older, now that they really have some of these disease processes, yeah. uh, now that they sometimes have lost some of their independence, some of them have lost all of the independence uh, that um, they feel that maybe that close-knit community that took care of them while they were in the hospital, uh, in the military, that looked after them when they quickly got out of the military, that they lose that close-knit community through the years as they survive. And that's why uh, so many entities are trying to work very hard to make sure that veterans get the respect that they deserve. Yeah. So speaking of those entities, as that segues nicely into to my next question, really, is you know what are what are some resources that veterans can take advantage of? Again, it could be healthcare uh, or or other civil services uh, today. Um, I am a big fan of VFWs. Um, uh huh. Yeah. You know, and so I, we have several throughout the city. And uh, and I, I kind of like to hang out with them for a lot of reasons. I I just love their stories. You know, some of the stories that they just sit around and like to talk about. And yeah, sometimes I can imagine. I'm the only person that they've talked to all day. Sometimes you can go into a VFW and you got, you know, your old uh, uh, Gulf War guy sitting there and having a beer and he doesn't, hasn't talked to anyone all day. And I walk in there and he's got somebody to talk to. Right. And sometimes that's just fun for me. Right. You know, so... Um, I really enjoy the VSWs quite a bit. Um, and then the VA has a lot of programs within the hospital once you've entered the VA system. <laughs> you know, that transition from active duty to veteran status is easy on the front end, like May said, because you have definitely that, uh, that post-active um, duty care going on, um, guidance. But after a while, it, it, it falls off. And so, um, you know, if, if you don't pick that back up or have someone to assist you in picking that back up and really helping you navigate that VA system, you're never going to be able to take advantage of some of the programs that they have, and there are some pretty amazing ones out there. Okay. And, and this is May. One of the important things that a lot of veterans don't realize is that they do have choice. As great as the VA system is, and the hospitals, and I do think they do a really great job. But there may be times that you just actually can't get to that facility. Uh, a, a veteran can choose not to go to the VA hospital and can choose other um, entities that are closer to their home, uh, but they have to still be in the system, and they have to have a social worker that will help them make that choice. That's one of the greatest benefits when you are a veteran and you enter the veteran system, you do have a case manager that can help you uh, uh, work through the maze of that system. Yeah. Now, there's a thousand individuals, so that still can be a waiting in progress. But they can make choices as to they want to come to Viber versus 
going to the VA to get the antibiotic therapy, their wound care therapy, because Vibra may actually be closer to their home. Sure, yeah. Well, that actually brings us to the next topic we'd like to talk about today, which is the actual uh, veteran program that you guys have at your two hospitals there in the Dallas market, uh, Vibra Hospital of Richardson and Vibra Specialty Hospital of DeSoto. Can you tell us what this program's all about and what veterans can expect from it? So um, we wanted, you know, we wanted an op- we wanted to do something that would that would absolutely honor our veterans in a, in their own special way. We have we have such a great relationship with our VA hospital here, uh, and they um, absolutely love sending their patients over to us. Uh, the clinical product they appreciate, the uh, communication and case management product they definitely appreciate. So we wanted to kind of go above and beyond. Um, consider us overachievers. <laughs> so it, what I thought about is, is that we, you know, with DeSoto being a 40-bed hospital, um, we, had, uh, we have an opportunity. There are a few rooms that May and myself uh, worked together and identified that would be ideal to um, kind of make a veterans-type suite or, or wing of the hospital, to say. So what we did was we coordinated with, uh, we put together a team, we identified our doctors, we identified um, our clinical people that would be working in our, and we put, presented that in front of our chief executive officer, Thomas Alexander. And he loved the idea, so we decided to push forward. So what happens is, is essentially the care and the attention that our veterans love that May kind of touched on before. Whenever she said they kind of feel like they get lost and and nobody really recognizes their sacrifices anymore. Um, We wanted to make sure that they completely understood that we do. Um, And that's what it's all about. It's just essentially um, making sure that post-acute they have great care. We have uh, specific case managers that are assigned to those patients and those patients only so that they're not just another patient on the floor. They're one of the Viber for Veteran patients. We have specific physicians that only see our veteran patients. Um, and, uh, and so we've changed the rooms, um, the hospital rooms there, and, and they're very nicely decorated with our uh, veterans. Uh, we got veterans colors. We got all kinds of baskets and, and, and um we changed the linens out to blue and white. I mean, it's, it's really bright. It's, it's coming along really good. So now whenever the VA, you know, is trying to send us a patient that they want us to care for, they let the family know Fiber has a wing especially for you guys, you know. So you'll be on, in, on a side of the hospital with other veterans. Um, that way you guys can interact with one another, um, You'll have specific staff that's going to be assigned to you so you're not getting different people in there every day um, and things of that nature. So it, it works, and, and uh, they love it. They really do. That's great. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize that it, that the, the program really, every aspect of care is tailored specifically to our veterans. And, and I, may, maybe you could speak to that a little bit more as chief clinical officer. I mean, so, so Melanie mentioned that there are specific physicians and things like that. So what what other sort of detailed or or or, or I will say yeah custom tailored aspects of their care um, 
uh, happen for veterans at, 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 in the uh, Viber for Veterans program? One of the great things we do is uh, our case management department. We're not trying to disconnect these veterans from the VA system. So when they're in our hospital, we have constant contact with that veteran's case managers. We make sure that they do not miss any appointment that they've been waiting on for months. We make sure the case managers at the VA hospital know exactly how their plan of care went in our hospital. So when they transition uh, to um, uh, home or uh, to uh, 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 wherever they're going to go, the VA has a detailed record of what we did for the patient while they were at our facility. So they have that great continuity of care. We also meet with the families of this veteran every week so that they know what we are doing uh, from the time that they come in, in between, and then as they're getting ready to discharge to a lower level of care because they've gotten better. So that is one of the things. We also make sure that they have a dedicated group of nurses who know what the veteran may be going through. This, uh, no one remembers that I was a veteran, that I was in Vietnam, that I was in the Gulf War. These nurses are trained to where they have more time to listen. Because a lot of times the veterans, they just want to tell their story. They want someone to hear about the sacrifices that, that they made. We also have to where uh, we can get uh, detailed lab reports, and we can send these lab reports back to the to the veteran hospital. So the VA hospital is almost knowing what we're doing for that patient while they're in our hospital. So when they transition back home and have to go back to the VA system, none of that's lost. It's a continuation of of care. Also, we have a team that's developed, uh, the CEO, Melanie, myself, the case managers. We're in close contact with that patient from day one because we want to make sure that uh, their experience with us was the best experience that they could have being sick. And that's really a challenge, you know. uh, You're sick, you don't feel good, you have this wound, uh, and now you have to come stay somewhere 25 days. So we, we make sure we meet these individuals to where when they do leave, they're saying it was the best experience. They are happy to be leaving, but they also know that if they need to come back, they will recommend us to come back. We also have one of the greatest wound care programs in this uh, Metroplex area. We use something that's called Plasoderm to where we actually draw blood, spin it down, and we actually return this back into a wound dressing for the patient. It is just phenomenal. Uh, We have three wound care doctors that work in our hospital. We also have nurse practitioners, uh, one in particular that's de- uh, dedicated to this program. That means most of that person's focus is, let me see what I can do to help the physician deliver great care uh, to this patient. You know, physicians come in, see a patient, and they may have to leave uh, to go back to their office. But this nurse practitioner hangs around a long time to make sure she's capturing everything for that patient and mm. getting it all lined up. Uh, a lot of our um, 
patients have numerous medications, just numerous medications, especially our veterans. Especially our veterans. They just do. So we're able to sit down and go through all of those medications and make sure that they understand the benefits of all of those medications and make sure that they can get their prescriptions filled when they leave us through the VA system. So we don't send their prescription to CVS or Walgreens. We make sure that this goes back to the VA system. So this is another benefit for that veteran. We don't let that get lost in the shuffle. So long story short, uh, going back to what Melanie said, what we have developed is a way when that veteran needs to come to get this long-term care, we're almost an extension mm-hmm. of the VA because right. we're going to do it so well that when they leave, the VA knows everything that we've done, and there's no hardship for that veteran. Oh, now I came to a private sector. Uh, am I going to lose all this? No. We're, we partnership with the VA. Excellent, yes. Uh, it sounds like you guys are really doing a heck of a job, and this is, this program sounds great. It also sounds like something that could could likely and should be implemented in other markets. Um, you know, there aren't veterans just don't go to Texas. <laughs> They're everywhere. And so, uh, you know, we'd like to see this expand. So sounds like, uh, sounds like a, a pilot program that's going great. And, uh, it also like, as you said, the value add, um, obviously the, the, the specific, the tailored care and all of that. Um, but as you mentioned, May, is that it's it's basically seamless uh, in terms of how it, how it communicates and works with the VA program, which again, I feel I think we'd all agree it goes without saying that the more turnkey, quote unquote turnkey, you can make something for for really anybody, but especially veterans and older ones who are are complex patients, the better. Um, so it's really really uh, a great thing uh, to, to the, the, for them to have access to, and uh, so um, well. Thank you. Uh, thank you. We're gonna we're gonna wind down. Uh, obviously, thank you so much, both of you. First and foremost, for your service to our country. Uh, that goes again without saying, but needs to be said. And of course, for joining us today uh, on this podcast episode, uh, it's it's really been informative and great, and um, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, folks, we're going to head on out for this episode, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much. Bye. Our guests today were Melanie Gonzalez and Mae Weathersby. To learn more about the healthcare challenges facing our veterans today, check out the show notes on the Continuum blog at vibrahealthcare.com slash blog. If you enjoyed our conversation with Melanie and Mae, Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform. And don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes as they're released.